Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hi, guys. I have with me Dan Shin from Terra Money, uh, which is one of the leading stablecoin projects coming out of Asia. Dan is based in Korea. Uh, so uh, in line with what we're trying to achieve at Decrypt Asia, where we cover the leading entrepreneurs, investors, technologists, service providers, and thought leaders from this industry, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to interview Terra as one of the leading stablecoin projects, as I mentioned. Um, it's also a very opportune moment because uh, I know the podcast is going to go live in, in a week or two. Um, but Dan, congratulations on going live with the main net. I know it happened just an hour or two ago. Thank you. Super exciting. How, how do you feel? And what's the latest update? I mean, I just want to make sure that, uh, like, I, I don't know if, like, I, I don't know the exact moment when a main net goes live. Like, are there a bunch of fires to put out or you seem pretty calm and relaxed? Yeah, well, uh, so we've been at this for over a year now. And uh, I think uh, opening our main net is a dream come true for a lot of us. Uh, don't get me wrong, I think a big part of the team is putting out fires and answering questions and uh, dealing with validators. But, uh, you know, I'm in good hands with our team. so. <laughs> Hopefully I can be calm and ready for you. That's awesome. Um, so there's different kinds of stable coins that have cropped up. Uh, there's different strategies and paths that different stablecoin projects have taken. There's fiat collateralized stable coins. You know, we have USDT, TUSD, Paxos. There's uh, crypto backed stable coins. Uh, and again, with different degrees of centralization versus decentralization. Uh, you you chose to go down the algorithmic route. Could you tell us a little bit about Terra and also your thought process in terms of, uh, or your decision-making process in terms of choosing to go the algorithmic route? Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, there's many ways that you can create a stable coin. Uh, for us, we thought the ultimate goal of a currency is to become widely adopted, to, so become exchangeable with just about any goods or services that you want in your life. And uh, in order to do that, uh, you need to incentivize users to want to use it over the incumbent options that they have. So uh, there's really uh, two benefits I, I would highlight at a high level. Uh, the first is if you create a fiat collateralized stablecoin, it's obviously uh, easy to design, but at the same time, it's highly centralized and no different from digital points or uh, e-money that you've used in the past. So uh, we thought having a decentralized and transparent uh, stablecoin is the next generation of, uh, uh, or the evolution of e-money uh, into a stablecoin. Uh, the second is if you have to store every last dollar of your collateral in fiat in your bank, then it's not the best use of your resources. So uh, if you're able to uh, uh, wean down from your fiat collateral, and if you're able to use that resource to incentivize users 
uh, say in e-commerce in the form of discounts or kickbacks, so that you would choose this over credit cards, you would choose this over your existing wallets, then we thought that would be a much uh, uh, formidable player uh, from a user acquisition perspective. Sure. Um, so there are two key aspects of features to your stablecoin, and one is pretty obvious, price stability, uh, and the other that you keep mentioning uh, on your website and your white paper is that you're growth driven or trying to drive real adoption. And I want to dig into both. Uh, so let's start with price stability. Uh, you mentioned that you have elastic contraction expansion of supply to maintain stability. Uh, could you explain in a little bit more detail in terms of how your stability mechanism works? Yeah, uh, quite simply, uh, there's a uh, price oracle. And if uh, the price of Terra falls below the peg, then uh, we contract the supply of Terra so that the price gravitates back up. If the price of Terra goes above the peg, then we expand the supply and dilute it so that the price would uh, so, 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 Sorry to jump in, but how exactly do you go about contracting and expanding the supply? Uh, so uh, expanding the supply is, uh, I would say not very difficult. So uh, we could, you know, print more Terra and uh, distribute that to the open market, and that would accomplish the goal. The uh, difficulty is with the contraction side of things, uh, and uh, that's why we have a second token called Luna, which serves as a collateral to Terra's economy. Uh, digging a, a level into Luna. Uh, so basically anytime Terra is transacted in e-commerce or uh, in offline restaurants, it pays a transaction fee to uh, Luna and it's distributed to Luna's miners. So the value of Luna is a uh, market multiple of the transaction fees that it's able to receive. And so uh, if you can imagine, uh, say, you know, $50 million of transaction fees are being distributed to the collective Luna miners in a given year. And if we're traded on the market at 100x multiple, then, uh, you know, Luna would be traded at a $5 billion uh, market multiple as an example. So uh, basically, uh, in times of Terra contraction, we would uh, temporarily increase the supply of Luna and we would use the additional Luna printed to uh, buy back Terra and, and burn the Terra that's swapped out. Uh, would it be incorrect to say that you're kind of like a, uh, so you're an algorithmic stable coin, but not 100% because you have Luna tokens sort of as a collateral as well. So you're sort of crypto collateralized to some extent, but then there's an algorithmic component as well. Yeah, so I, I would say, so we are algorithmic in that the price stability is achieved through algorithmic uh, uh, elastic supply. Uh, however, I would say we're also uh, very much collateralized. So uh, our uh, protocol is designed so that the value of Luna can 100% collateralize the uh, entirety of Terra's economy at all times. Uh, it just so happens that it's in a decentralized endogenous cryptocurrency called Luna and not fiat. Right. Um, and so I guess the final question from the price stability mechanism perspective, 
how do you ensure the stability? I guess it would be in your interest to make sure that Luna grows over a period of time. And that is dependent on uh, making sure that the usage of Terra grows over a period of time. But there would obviously be a little bit of volatility on, in, with the Luna token, which is the unstable component, uh, especially initially, and also because your main net just went live. How do you ensure that the Luna token doesn't kind of crash and, and that collateral uh, that you have backing up Terra, the stable coin, how do you ensure that that collateral stays relatively stable as well, even though it's supposed to be uh, a little bit in, unstable and kind of appreciate over a period of time? Yeah. So uh, let's just assume the value of Luna is quite simply the transaction fees that it re receives on a yearly basis times a market multiple. So. Uh, like you said, the transaction fees that it receives is a combination of a uh, number of e-commerce platforms that we're able to onboard and the percentage of checkout share that we're able to get. And we feel like given that payments have traditionally been very, very sticky, uh, once we onboard, say, you know, 50 or 100 e-commerce partners, the likelihood of them turning off uh, is uh, very, very low. So the market volatility will be driven by the market multiple going up and down uh, with investor sentiment. And the way that we counter that is we have counter cyclical minor re returns. So our transaction fees, for example, are uh, 10 basis point points in normal state. But if market multiples are coming, coming down, we can rake that up all the way to 1%. So 10 times the transaction fees that we were levying on e-commerce transactions uh, in a normal state. Uh, also, the seniorage that is produced by uh, printing more Terra, uh, a greater percentage of that is given to minor rewards in the times of uh, contractionary cycles. So basically, our goal is even when market multiples are down, we try to smooth out the value of Luna by giving it more cash flows uh, in those periods. Yeah. Uh, so I was reading about, I mean, I've been really kind of digging into the concept of seniorage, and I, I think it's pretty important. A lot, I think a lot of the listeners, I'm not sure if they're familiar with this concept. Uh, it was actually, I was going to ask this, this was going to be my next question, but I was kind of uh, debating whether I should get into seniorage and, and how much deep. Uh, I should go into this topic, but could you uh, very quickly kind of talk about what seniorage is and and how you know typically governments profit from it, and and in your case, how you're kind of taking on that role of um, being the sort of central bank, uh, so to say, or the equivalent, uh, and and how you guys use this concept of seniorage to to profit and also run Terra, uh, the the stablecoin. Yeah, I, I think seniorage is core to our protocol, so I'm glad you asked. Um, it it kind of goes back to why we chose to be an algorithmic stablecoin and not a fiat-backed stablecoin. Uh, and, and the answer is really in uh, seniorage. So uh, governments, uh, because they have the power to print money, they're able to allocate that to uh, you know, government budgets, right? like building infrastructure or improving education. And uh, uh, fiat-backed cryptocurrencies don't have access to that seniorage because every additional dollar of 
cryptocurrency that's printed needs to be stored in the bank in the form of a fiat collateral. But because we have a decentralized collateral that is backed by the cash flows from our economy, we're able to use the seniors to actually reinvest uh, back into uh, our uh, users. Um, so uh, just taking a quick example, if our transaction volume on e-commerce grows from $10 billion last year to $20 billion this year, then we have a delta of 10 billion in transaction volume if you assume a velocity of money of 10 times, as in the money trades hands 10 times a year, then there's a billion dollars of additional new money in Terra that needs to be printed to support the $20 billion in transaction volume. So that billion dollars is used to incentivize miners as well as to give, say, you know, five, 10% kickbacks on every transaction that user uh, does on e-commerce. And because we're able to give those kickbacks, more users are encouraged to use Terra and uh, our checkout percentage uh, or, or checkout market share on e-commerce should grow over time. Yeah, I guess I, I think, and that's a good point about how, um, how an algorithmic stablecoin can be over a period of time a lot more scalable than something that is uh, collateralized by fiat. Because like you rightly pointed, uh, if you have a fiat collateralized uh, stablecoin, um, then for every stable coin, every unit of stablecoin, you need to have uh, dollars in the bank. And so there's only so much scalability that you could have. So I think that's a great point. Uh, what I want to jump into next is you mentioned e-commerce companies, and I know that's your go-to-market strategy as well. Um, you're known to uh, be having one of the strongest plans in terms of uh, going to market. Could you talk a little bit more in detail about that? Yeah, uh, I think the go-to-market strategy really stems from uh, my personal background as an e-commerce entrepreneur. So uh, prior to starting Terra, I spent uh, about eight years uh, leading one of the largest e-commerce platforms in Korea. And uh, we would pay about $80 million in payment fees to our uh, partners every year and that's $80 million we would have liked to have dropped to the bottom line. So uh, I think uh, there's a compelling uh, value proposition and a sales pitch to e-commerce companies around the world to say, hey, if you use Terra to transact, your transaction fees go down, say, uh, 80%, and we're also able to incentivize your users to purchase on your platform on an ongoing basis with discounts and kickbacks. So uh, we've gathered together uh, 20 platforms across Asia that collectively do about $30 billion in uh, gross merchandising volume. And that's that includes companies in Korea like uh, you know, Timon on e-commerce, Buwa Brothers on food delivery, uh, Yanoja, which is the leading accommodations player. Uh, so uh, all, uh, all platforms that are uh, nationally recognizable in Korea, uh, as well as in Southeast Asia, we're working with uh, guys like Carousel, uh, Tiki in Vietnam, uh, Pomelo Fashion. So uh, all players that we think can help drive a ton of volume and awareness for Terra on day one. Yeah, um, and you know, uh, I think, so I've, I've read about your, um, so the, your, what you're referring to is the Terra Alliance, right? Where you have multiple um, 
kind of other e-commerce companies that you've onboarded. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that journey in terms of how those conversations went about when you approached these e-commerce players? Because a lot of them, uh, like for example, Carousel, uh, I know recently came out with Carupay. Uh, and so they, a lot of these e-commerce players feel like they need to go into payment, the payment space themselves. Um, and I guess some of the bigger players as well. So I guess GoCheck in Indonesia has their own, uh, has GoPay, Grab has GrabPay uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, when you approach them from, uh, from a business development perspective, how do those conversations usually go down? Uh, I guess, you know, it's more from a, like, how does Terra kind of complement um, the, the existing payment mechanisms that these companies may have? Or, or could it potentially be a competitor as well? Or, or like, what is your thought process or, and how do those conversations go about? Yeah, so uh, in, in theory, the conversations go fairly smoothly because uh, saving a platform tens of millions of dollars on uh, payment costs is a no-brainer decision for a CEO. Uh, the ability to give 5% discounts on all the products that you sell on an ongoing basis is a huge competitive advantage versus the platform's competitor that's not able to uh, provide it. So I'm selling a bottle of water on my platform. A different platform is selling the same bottle of water. I work with Terra, so my water is 5% cheaper. That becomes a fundamental advantage to the e-commerce company that uh, partners with Terra. So in theory, it goes extremely smoothly. Uh, but uh, keep in mind that we just launched our mainnet, our payment product comes out next month. So there's a layer of surprise and not having seen the product that uh, I think gets uh, the counterparty, you know, not only uh, excited, but uh, a little bit, uh, you know, nervous as well. And I think that's an element that we'll have to prove as we uh, drive real transactions and volume over time. Uh, you talked about uh, lots of e-commerce companies wanting to own their own payments. So uh, the great thing about Terra is that we have Terra pay the wallet, but we also have Terra the cryptocurrency. So uh, you know, if you don't have a wallet, we're able to provide a wallet alongside the PayPal's and the Alipay's of the world. If you have your own wallet and you're pushing that, we can be one of the payment options within your wallet as uh, Terra, the cryptocurrency. So I, I think we have a complementary solution to just about anyone. You mentioned your payment product. Could you talk very quickly in terms of how that would be from a user experience uh, perspective? So, you know, I, I go on, onto an e-commerce uh, website. Uh, I, you know, I fill up my shopping basket and I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm just in the process of checking out. I have different options to make payments. Um, could you talk about how that would go? How would the interaction be uh, from a user, uh, from the user's perspective in terms of making that payment using uh, Terra money? Yeah, so uh, on checkout page, you'll be offered multiple options, uh, among which Terra will have a bubble next to it saying, we'll give you a 10% discount. So even if you've never heard of Terra, uh, naturally your uh, eyeball hopefully will gravitate towards it. So if you decide to make the smart consumer option of clicking on Terra, then uh, we'll ask you to uh, do KYC 
and uh, add a bank account uh, that we will pull from uh, once you do transaction. So uh, the bank account uh, uh, integration is a one-time step, uh, only the only step that you have to do the first time you use it. And after that, it becomes very seamless. So uh, we pull the just the right amount to transact uh, for your shopping cart. And if you press a six button pin, then voila, uh, in the background, we've converted your fiat to Terra and transacted with it all in one step. So uh, down the road, it should take you only, you know, say five seconds to go through the entire process. Right, and, and subsequently, how does it work? So, I mean, I've, I mean, I've gone through the painful process or relatively painful process of entering my bank account details and things like that. And then subsequently, um, if I'm making another purchase and maybe on a different platform as well, have I created an account with Terra? Have I created a wallet? You have, yeah, so you have. So uh, the, all subsequent payments, uh, all you need to do is click pay with Terra, uh, confirm the amount that you're paying, uh, put in your six digit code and you're done. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess that does sound good. I mean, especially, I think, especially in, um, and that your target market is Asia. Uh, you've mentioned Southeast Asia as one of your focus um, geographies as well. And I think people, maybe not so much in Singapore, but especially some countries uh, neighboring Singapore are extremely, extremely price conscious. So having a five, four, four, five percent um, cheaper rate uh, would definitely be a good incentive mechanism. Um, let's, I want to jump, we, you know, we've talked about the price stability mechanism. We've talked about your go-to-market strategy. I want to dig a little bit into, uh, your tech stack. I know you're using, you built on Tendermint and, uh, Cosmos went live yesterday as well. Um, I, I guess that the tokens, uh, were released. The mainnet kind of went live, uh, a little while ago. Uh, Tendermint in general has been getting a lot of kind of, uh, a lot of projects are looking to build on Tendermint. Could you talk a little bit more about your experience, your experience interacting with the Tendermint team? Uh, how is it to build on top of their platform? Um, and, and things like, you know, I know you have your own protocol, so to say, with its own validators. Um, how easy was it to, uh, first of all, you know, create this protocol and also, you know, attract these validators to validate um, for your chain? Yeah, so I, I think uh, first and foremost, we needed our uh, own chain in order to uh, facilitate, uh, you know, very, very fast and scalable payments. Uh, I think, for example, Ethereum would not have been a ideal partner from that perspective. Uh, and second, uh, we needed the mining activity so that we're able to pay the transaction fees as mining rewards. So uh, I think those were kind of the considerations that went into uh, building our chain. Uh, we've really reviewed, you know, just about any chain that, uh, you know, we could get our hands on. And of them, you know, we thought Tendermint had the flexibility and the scalability that, that was required to, uh, uh, to support our uh, technology, uh, as well as, you know, they've been around for quite a bit. So I, I think during 
the uh, uh, several years that they've been developing, they have many features that we can really pull from uh, in order to uh, uh, in order to supplement uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, so in the process, uh, the Tendermint guys, the Cosmos guys were quite busy launching their mainnet as well. But nonetheless, they were extremely supportive in uh, helping uh, Terra get up and running. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we look forward to just a deep collaboration with them moving forward as well. And as far as validators go, so I know you made an announcement. I think it was very recently. You have 30 validators within your ecosystem. Could you talk a little bit more about uh, how that process went about convincing these different stakeholders to come and validate uh, transactions within your ecosystem? Um, so I, I'm not sure if there's much to talk about there because the 30 validators all joined uh, in a matter of 24 hours. Uh, I, I would say, are they? I mean, are they the biggest investors as well? Is that? I mean, do they have the biggest kind of stake in in Terra also? So I, I would say the validators are one, one of two one. buckets. Yeah, sorry, I just lost the. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear. You. Yeah. Okay. Hear yeah, 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 yeah. So the thirty validators. Uh, they fall into one of two buckets. So uh, I, I would say about half are uh, are investors. So uh, you know, guys like Arrington or Polychain that uh, uh, made an investment from early on are uh, joined in as validators. The other half were uh, active validators in the uh, Tendermint ecosystem. So uh, they were quite used to. Uh, how uh, Tendermint's chain worked and how their validation worked. And uh, they naturally uh, came over and were excited about working with Terra as well. Okay. I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough, um, and, and but is a huge, huge challenge, is uh, regulatory compliance when it comes to stable coins. We've seen other algorithmic stable coins uh, such as basis actually return money to their investors. Uh, what was your journey like from a regulatory compliance perspective? And what were the steps that you had to kind of take to make sure that you stay compliant in all of the jurisdictions um, that, that you were planning to operate in? Yeah. So uh, I think there's uh, many layers of regulation that we need to be concerned about in various jurisdictions and uh, you know, I don't want to bore people with the entire menu of things, but uh, I think uh, the critical issue that basis fell into was around uh, securities. So they basically had uh, base shares and base bonds. And if you own base shares, you had uh, basically uh, uh, you know, free access to their seniors without uh, having to do any work. So it was passive income that was being passed to them on an ongoing basis for making an investment. So, uh, you know, I, I think we thought very deep about uh, what would entail a utility token. And for us, that's why we created Luna and uh, the chain that supports it and a, uh, uh, ecosystem of validators that are uh, mining and validating our uh, transaction because 
for us, the money that's being paid out to the, uh, the uh, Luna holders is in the form of mining rewards. So uh, yeah, I, I think there's topics like this that are kind of in the gray area or undefined that we need to uh, do a very detailed review of and uh, you know, navigate in a very uh, wise way. Yeah, um, so I think, uh, and I guess this is, you know, jumping from sort of one topic to another, and we've talked about your go-to-market strategy as well. Uh, and on one hand, you have Terra Alliance, where you have some of the more sort of quote-unquote traditional uh, e-commerce players uh, that you've tried to partner with in terms of um, doing BD for Terra. But on the other hand, you're uh, kind of targeting some of the more uh, crypto-native uh, companies in terms of partnerships as well. So you've partnered up with Clayton, which is a Kakao's. Uh, Kakao is one of the leading um, companies in, um, in, in Korea. And I think no one can you know, exist in Korea without having to go through one of Kakao's services. Uh, yeah. Huge market penetration as well. But beyond that, in Vietnam, you have partnered up with, um, with Tomu Chain, uh, you've partnered up with Ontology in China. Could you talk a little bit more about what your thought process is in terms of some of these partnerships, uh, more from a crypto native perspective? Yeah, I, I think uh, the logic is quite simple. Uh, we've gotten inbound uh, requests that, uh, you know, many chains and the applications on top of them require stablecoin to, uh, to uh, facilitate their economy. So uh, for us, uh, part of the uh, decision to build on top of Tendermint is their aspiration to build a uh, cross-chain platform. And uh, for us, uh, being a stable coin on top of a cross-chain platform, the ability to provide cross-chain stability mechanism is an exciting opportunity for us. So if a application on top of Clayton requires a stable coin, we're able to provide that. If application on top of Tomo Chain requires that, you know, we're able to provide that as well. So uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been talking to these uh, chains about uh, becoming the de facto digital money for, uh, for uh, their ecosystems. Yeah, I think that's super exciting. I mean, personally for you, what are you, before we wrap up, what are you most excited about? Any key developments to look forward to? I know we've already witnessed kind of a very significant development with you guys going uh, live today or any message that you want to get out before we end this interview? So I, I think Terra's kept a lot of things under the hood for a while. Uh, but with the launch of our mainnet and with the launch of our payment product next month, uh, I do truly believe we will be driving, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, transaction volume uh, in a very short amount of time. So uh, hopefully it's one of the first examples of real customers across Asia uh, actually benefiting from a blockchain or cryptocurrency project. And... Uh, yeah, even the non-believers of blockchain can say, point to Terra and say, hey, like, you know, I'm saving a ton of money because of Terra. So, uh, yeah, I, I, we, we constantly stress mass adoption. We constantly stress everyday use cases. And, you know, that's what our mission has been about. So, uh, 
you know, I think we're kind of at the last mile of uh, opening up the curtains. And so, yeah, uh, watch out for our payment product launching uh, in May. Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to use it as well. I know you want to be uh, pretty active in Singapore also, and uh, I'm super excited to be using uh, your payment product once it's out. Uh, we'll obviously keep our audience posted on on when that uh, goes live and, and, you know, uh, and, and see, you know, real world adoption. We keep talking about use cases um, and, and, you know, hopefully that works out pretty well. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to come speak with us. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.